Why, hello there. This is Jonathan Edwards at pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. We're in the middle of a mini-series on sexual immorality and pornography with Brother R.C. Cope. It's a challenging conversation, but I think it's a really important one, and I think it will offer a lot of hope and encouragement. So let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, you have not been overcome by such as is common demand. The things that you are struggling with are common to mankind, and that is true. I say that every time in the invitation. Your sin is not something that everybody else doesn't understand, because guess what? They've all struggled with some sin at some point in their lives. That's why we all need God, because mm-hmm. we've all struggled with sin at some point in our lives. So we just want to normalize this, to talk about this. And don't worry if somebody's going to sit there and have some sort of judgmental attitude towards you. Shame on them. Mm, absolutely. Shame on them. There is a, again, we'll see if this makes the cut. Um <laughs> I don't know how to frame this other than it being maybe a little shocking. To me, the the maybe it's because I've I've helped a lot of people through this, and in in doing couples therapy, whenever sexual indiscretion or sexual uh, problems come up, it doesn't really bother me. Now. M- I know that morally and uh, ju- the, with the judgment that there's there's if this isn't resolved, then they're going to stand before God in judgment. I, I'm not trying to trivialize the judgment. What I find is the most disturbing of these sins is the deceit, the the lack of trust, betrayal, and so when it when it maybe in in marriage it's infidelity, but in the same with the pornography, the the the, the Sex or the sexual act or whatever, sometimes people think uh, nobody's ever done anything like this. I'm the only one that's ever done this or looked at this. And so I'm just such a I'm such a shameful, evil person. I'm twisted and nobody's like me. And I, I feel really sorry for those people because. I bet they truly do feel alone. Um, the ones that are refusing to admit that they have a problem who lie to themselves and to others and refuse to take accountability or responsibility, that's the ones that disturb me the most. So you're making a like a invitation to our listeners, and I am as well, that that to step off the cliff is not to have looked at something you shouldn't have, to not have done something you shouldn't have. In my estimation, to step off the cliff is to have convinced yourself and others that there's no hope for you or that you really don't have a problem. The only unforgivable sin that I'm aware of in our times is the sin that's not repented of. And while there may be consequences, you know, you reap what you sow type of things with sin, and and that kind of varies depending on the sin. Um, What we're talking about with sexual immorality, it's definitely one that you can walk away from and you will find peace even if it takes time to learn to forgive yourself again, God's ready to forgive in the moment that you're ready to walk away from it. So, hundred percent right. Um, hundred percent right. You have several scriptures in Second Corinthians six. Uh, 
we kind of skipped over them. You mentioned 1 Corinthians 10. I don't know if, if that was in order, out of order, or what, but I'd love to give you opportunity to talk about 1 Corinthians 6. Yeah, there's a few different things that I'd like to point out. We don't necessarily need to talk about all of them. We've kind of covered some of them in passing. But we see here in 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 12, Paul, it seems to be, is addressing an excuse that the Corinthians were making. It says there, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. We'll stop there and talk about that. What are they saying? What in the <laughs> world? What is all this business with the foods for the stomach and stomachs for food? Well, I think if I'm understanding this correctly, the Corinthians claim was, listen, Paul, when I'm hungry, what do I do? I eat. I eat. I satiate that desire. God gave me that desire. God gave me my body. And so when I'm hungry, I eat. And so they took that thought process and they applied that to sexual urges. Mm -hmm. And they said, mm -hmm. well, look, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm having a sexual urge, I should act on it. God's going to destroy my body anyways. It's all good. It's not that big of a deal. But this is Paul's admonition to them, and this is Paul's explanation. He says, listen, the body's not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So the Corinthians, they're making this excuse. They're saying, well, we shouldn't we just act on it? That's what God taught us. It doesn't really matter how we treat this body anyways. Paul says, no, 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 no. Your body is for the Lord. Mm -hmm. It has a very special purpose. Yeah. You have been called out. You have been chosen. You are a special people, a holy nation, like Peter says in 1 Peter 2. Yeah, so Paul is continuing this thought to the Corinthians in verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, something that really stands out to this about me. Paul is reminding the Corinthians here. You are members of the body of Christ. You are holy. You are special. You serve a role that nobody else in the world serves as God's representatives here on earth, as Christ's body. And they were not living up to that expectation and that potential because of this problem of sexual immorality that they were struggling with. Mm. And I think it's so important to remind people that you are so valuable and you pure and clean and away from all of these sexual sins or any sins at all is going to be so beneficial, not just for you, but for the church and for the Lord. There's a lot more riding on this than just you. Again, this is a sin that doesn't just affect you. Mm -hmm. Not only does this uh, affect you in how you think, but in what you can do. And what you can do for the Lord. It is very difficult to serve the Lord when you feel guilt. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult. Mm -hmm. You will not be as effective as you ought to be and as effective as you need to be because you're so concerned about all of the struggles that you have in your life with whatever sin. And so Paul's reminding them, listen, you have a responsibility as the body of Christ. And he continues this in verse 18. He says, 
Flee sexual immorality. These are some difficult passages, but I just want to look at some practical principles. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Sorry, I'm getting so excited. I feel like I'm just really (laughs) yelling into this microphone. But these are important passages. You know, a lot of people like to debate over what exactly this passage means. Sure. And that's fine. They're welcome to do that. But it's really not important to what Paul's point here is. Paul says, listen, you were God's temple here on earth in which his spirit dwells. In the Old Testament, right, the Israelites had the temple. And the temple was where God's presence was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're all temples as Christians mm-hmm. where God's presence is. The Holy Spirit is in us. However that is, you know, I don't exactly know. But it means that we are what reflects God's presence Mm -hmm. to the world. Mm -hmm. And so, how do we do that? Paul says, we flee from sexual immorality. Right. And we, and the, the, uh, the opposite of, of fleeing, uh, well, let me maybe rephrase it. There's, there's two things I see that are happening. There's the thing that you're trying to avoid, and then there's also the thing that you're doing to fill yourself uh, and not just have a void in your heart. I, I've preached a sermon many, many times from Matthew 12 about the evil spirit that's cast out of a man, and it's, it's left with this void hole in the man's heart, and so it goes out and finds seven more spirits that come back, and it's more wicked than it was before. And the idea is that um, we can cast out sin, but if we don't replace it with God and God's ways, then it's just a matter of time before sin comes back. So I like the end of 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 20, glorify God with your body. So I think for single people and for married people, that might look a little bit different, but you're the single man and I'm the married man, so why don't we both answer it? How do single people glorify God with their bodies? And then I'll answer, how do married people glorify God with their bodies? Well, we'll jump ahead a little bit, but I just want to make this point. Paul will talk about this in 1 Corinthians 7. Oh, is this in your study? Okay. And that's okay. We can (laughs) skip around a little bit. Paul will talk about this in 1 Corinthians 7, that he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. Paul's not saying here, don't get married. Marriage is bad. Marriage makes you less of a Christian. That's not his point at all. But there is reality in the fact that when you are married, that is a major time investment Mm -hmm. every day. Mm Mm-hmm. Every and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and praise God for that. But when you are an unmarried person, you have so much time and you have so much freedom in what you do. You just get to decide where you go. It's not, well, I need to go talk to my wife. I need to make sure that, you know, the kids aren't busy and that they're picked up and somebody's sure. got them from school. Sure. You have so much time. And so you can use your body and go and do things mm-hmm. that other people can't do. They can be little things. Go visit somebody. There's probably elderly people that you can visit on your street, maybe at your local church. Go visit them. Go help them. Go take care of them. Go see what you can do for somebody in your congregation. Go see if you can visit somebody else who needs help. Go see if you can start a Bible study. Go see if you can do anything. Just get out there. Use your body. Use your time and do something with it because you're not going to have it forever. Mm. Um. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you can say more of how you can use your body to in in the marriage relationship. And I know there's a lot of special things sure. that you can do with that. But there's just so much energy, time, and freedom you have yeah. as a single person. Oh, yeah. And so use it. Absolutely. And I think that uh, the almost biblical phrase, the devil's or idle hands of the devil's workshop, uh, definitely applies right there, especially for our single folks. If if you are making provisions for the flesh, then you will reap a harvest to the flesh. Romans thirteen fourteen says, "Make no provision for the flesh." The idea is you don't store up anything uh, towards gratifying it, but rather you are emptying self, so to speak, by the things that you just mentioned. So if I know that I cannot have a sexual relationship yet, if I'm a single person, and I know that that's not God's plan for me, then I want to make every provision to uh, make sure that doesn't happen. I'm not going to be alone with my uh, significant other, maybe ever, right? If we go on a date, we're making sure we're going on a date in in public places, restaurants, going to the movies, whatever. But we're not going to go off to the park uh, anymore because I'm not making a provision for the flesh. We're not going to cook a dinner for each other at our apartment alone because we're not making a provision for the flesh. So just specifically about sexual, the sexual uh, relationship, if I'm single, it it's totally okay to want to have sex. That's a very natural drive. And, and man, I wish that, that more people would say that maybe even from the pulpit, that God gave us our sex drive, right? So it's it's such a wonderful gift of God, but there are a lot of other wonderful gifts of God that we don't exercise all the time. We know that they're appropriate in different times, and so, so it is with sex. So we, we delay, and we fill our life with other good things, so I'm glad to hear you have said that. For our married friends who are listening to this, I think we can glorify God with our bodies sexually by being faithful to each other. And as let me look at your notes. Let's see how much I'm taking away from First Corinthians seven. Oh, it's all good. I don't think I am. Good. So First Corinthians seven, verse one through five. Uh, again, Paul's not the most romantic writer, but he's certainly the most practical. Husbands, your body does not belong to you; it belongs to your wife. Wife, your body does not belong to you; it belongs to your husband. The idea there is that when people are married, they're going to have conversations and communications about their sex life and so that um, both parties needs are getting met some may have more needs and some may have less needs and when the two of them get married what keeps it spicy is that they're having conversations with each other and both uh, the one who maybe doesn't have as many needs but they understand that their partner does they learn to glorify God together and so I, when I do when Marissa and I do pre-marriage counseling uh my favorite lesson is to talk to young people about sex because first they I love seeing young people get uncomfortable whenever the the middle-aged preacher starts saying sex words right but but secondarily uh, it's good to remind them that um, glorifying God with your body doesn't always mean sex is bad before you're married it also means that for the next 40 50 60 years however long you have a sexual relationship with your partner after marriage that you're going to glorify God in that relationship because of the faithfulness. I'm not going to do it with anybody else. But then also in the way that we have this relationship, uh, we're going to communicate and make sure that we both have healthy practices. We're not selfish, prideful, arrogant, 
demanding, but we're wanting to uh, enjoy what God has given. So that's like the PG version of what I <laughs> prefer to talk about. <laughs> but you never know who's listening to this, yeah. so I want to make sure that families in the car can listen to it as well. Um, it takes two things to sin. Yes, it does. It takes a desire and it takes an opportunity. You know, something that Paul said there is flee sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Flee sexual immorality. Paul didn't say walk the line. Right. Paul didn't say get as close as you can without yeah. lighting yourself on fire. Tippy toe. Tippy yeah, toe. <laughs> that's right. He said flee. Yeah. And sometimes fleeing means in the practical sense in the 21st century drawing hard lines. Mm-hmm. Drawing hard lines. Yeah. Sin takes a desire and it takes an opportunity. Mm-hmm. The truth is, it is very difficult to get rid of a desire. Right. It is very hard to get rid of a desire. And I would even suggest that pride convinces you that you don't have desires or that your desires are shameful. Don't acknowledge them. Humility is the willingness to admit, yeah, I do have this desire. And I want our listeners to hear that because I think sometimes they think that having a desire in in and of itself is sinful. But Jesus was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. So we know that he had temptation. We have temptation. Jesus remained sinless. We can, though not remain sinless, we can be faithful. So Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's perfect. And that's exactly right. And so if we have this natural desire that there is a place for, but we can't yet act on what do we do if sin takes a desire and an opportunity? You got to get rid of the opportunity. In fact, we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 7, when talking about you know, sexual morality, Proverbs 7 is a really helpful passage because it's giving a narration of a man who's struggling with this exact thing. Mm-hmm. It says there in Proverbs 7, starting in verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice. This is this man's perspective. And saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, mm-hmm. passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. This man, he had a desire, and what did he do? He stumbled upon an opportunity. He stumbled upon an opportunity. If you read through the end of Proverbs 7, he's going to end up suffering for that. Right. He's going to end up dying for that. He's going to take an arrow mm-hmm. uh, symbolically. You know, he died spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so on a great heap of bodies who had previously been slain by this adulterous woman. That's exactly right. And so if you're trying to get rid of this sin and you know you can't get rid of the desire, draw hard lines to get rid of the opportunity. And that's very difficult because those are lines that we like. We like to be out with our significant others late. We like to be have iPhones But you know what? There's a world where if this little piece of technology (laughs) in your hand is ruining your life, you can get a flip phone. Right. You can get a flip phone. It is better to go to heaven with a flip phone than to hell with an iPhone. (laughs) I laugh, but it's you're you're very right. It's very true. It's true. And we live in a society where we're so devoid of that. What would we do without an iPhone? What would Mm -hmm. I do if I couldn't FaceTime my friends or update my Twitter or whatever? But Flee. Flee sexual immorality. And the reality is 
the only way that you're ever going to solve your sexual morality problem, particularly a pornography issue, is if you flee. That means you run and you give everything that you can to get away from it. Mm -hmm. Somebody's chasing you with a gun, with a knife, or you're running to protect your family, you are running with energy that you didn't even know you had. Right. And that's what you need to do to be able to overcome these sexual temptations. I agree. Is flee. So draw those hard lines. If that means that you shouldn't date until you're at an age where you can get married, then maybe that's the best thing to do. And really, it's a good time to take inventory, too. Mm -hmm. If you draw these hard lines, you're not making out, you're not spending time together in the car late, you're not doing things you ought not to, and you just you realize, oh, like this relationship isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. You did a good thing. Yeah. And you should get out, and you should reevaluate, and you can make your life better. Mm-hmm. You know, for, the, for phones, uh, I've used Covenant Eyes in the past with others doing accountability software. There's one called Fortify, and I've never tried it, but I've had some say that uh, it's really, really good. So just throwing out some options for our listeners who may want some help on their devices. The the issue that I have with them is that they're pretty easy to bypass if you really wanted to get around them. And so to your point, um, it takes desire and opportunity. Uh, it's almost like we have to set the hard boundaries, but then we're also going to have to rewire desires as well. We've got to be able to, in the moment, know whether it be that, you know, usually something triggers one of these central desires, whether it be a trigger of anger or hunger or um, boredom, you know, whatever it is that leads one down that path. It's not like we wake up in the morning and go, hmm, how can I sin against God today? Usually something has happened where maybe we're trying to escape uh, escape reality, or we're really anxious or nervous or depressed. And that's whenever temptation strikes and desire and opportunity are its strongest. So learning to spiritually rewire the brain so that my desires are being satisfied with the Lord. I'm finding comfort in the Lord against anxiety. 100%. And when, I, when I'm no longer anxious, I don't go looking for relief from anxiety, and then I'm able to bypass, you know, the safeguards on my my electronic devices. So, that's I guess maybe another element to this that I wanted to bring up yeah, is 100%. that um, you can't put yourself in, in some sort of jail because the the flesh is so crafty; it will find a way out. Yeah, hundred percent. And there is reality too in the fact that you are might going to have to give up some things that aren't necessarily wrong. Mm. There's going, Good to point. Be, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to remove from your life that inherently are not sinful. You could do them and you wouldn't be sinning. But what they lead to, what they progress to, is the problem. Yeah. And so you need to remove some of those things from your life. And that's difficult and that's hard. Who wants to get rid of something in their life that isn't sinful? But right. it's what it might lead to. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. part of drawing lines and having boundaries. Well, we've said it now a few different times, but pride... You know, pride tells me I'm old enough that uh, I don't need to get rid of that because it's not sinful. I'm good enough. I'm strong. I can have that in my life. Humility would say, I don't, I don't want that. Even though I, I don't have to give it up, I don't want it because I know it would be a provision for the flesh. So circling back around to that whole pride versus humility thing, that's a rewiring of the brain right there. Um, it's making sure you're spiritually humble. Now, You've uh, 
you use Proverbs 7, uh, you're still teaching us out of 1 Corinthians 7. So what's going on there? That's right. Paul still has a lot left to say to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 7, that's a chapter that has a lot to say about what marriage is and what it looks like. Um, but among that, I want to emphasize something in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9. This is a passage I hear a lot, especially talking to young men who are struggling with different things. And I just want to talk about it a little bit. Sure. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, Paul says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain, or it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, Paul is saying, listen, if you just can't control yourself, get married. Okay, that is what Paul is saying. I accept that. But that kind of develops to a toxic headspace where young men and young women who are struggling with sexual temptations, whether it's pornography, whether it's fornication, whatever it is, sure. they think and they justify in their mind, well, listen, I'm going to get married and it's all going to go away. My pornography <laughs> problem is going to go away. Right, right. My sexual urges are going to be acted upon, so they're going to go away. I just think that's a lie from Satan. I agree. I just, I'm not married. I don't have the experience to say, well, this is how it was for me or that's how it was for me. But I do know that habits don't just change when you put a metal ring on your finger. <laughs> well, I'm only laughing because it's true that, uh, I can just speak for self, but I, I'm I'm certain, and I in private conversations times a thousand, I've had these, where you thought marriage was the, the fix, and so temptation for anything that is sexually immoral would be gone, and then you feel betrayed whenever you find yourself still tempted, to that because you're like, hey, I thought, I thought First Corinthians seven said that uh, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I got married. Why am I still burning with passion? And that brings on a whole new level of shame because now you have committed your life to a person and now that person is feeling uniquely hurt if uh, you're not making provisions against the flesh. They're, they are experiencing in real-time pain that beforehand you, nobody experienced. So I'll just validate on this side of marriage that, yeah, it, it, it's maddening sometimes to think that... Uh, that lie is so prevalent that I'll just get married and all my problems will go away. Yeah, 100%. As we kind of continue on in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, it's very easy to get lost in the sauce of this all as a, you know, young unmarried person who sure. isn't married yet or maybe isn't even close to being married. And you just sit there and think, well, what in the world? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. In 1 Corinthians 7... Paul is talking to a lot more than just married people. That's right. Paul is talking to married people. He's talking to women who have never been married, men who have never been married, widows, mm -hmm. divorced people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of roles in the church mm -hmm. that are beyond just being a married person. And I think sometimes it's very difficult to appreciate your time, appreciate your role, and appreciate who you can be as an unmarried person, whether that's because... You've never been married before. You've been widowed. Something went wrong in your marriage, whatever that might be. You still have such a valuable role in the church. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 32, 
I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. There is such a value and such an importance and such a fundamental need in the church for committed unmarried people. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little, but there's so much that you can do. And if you don't, the church will suffer. Don't get so lost in, well, I just can't wait to be married. Because such as is life, when you're married, oh, I can't wait to have our first kid. Oh, I can't wait for them to graduate high school. Oh, I can't wait mm-hmm. to be a grandparent. You're going to be spending that uh, mindset for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's never going to go away. Yeah. So don't worry so much about, man, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not married. What's my role? Especially, I hear this, it's kind of off topic, but I hear this so much from young men and young women. I just can't find a wife. I just can't find a husband. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Yeah. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Continue to develop your relationship with God and with Jesus and who you are, your Christian characters, your Christian ethics, your knowledge, and your study of the Bible. And if you continue to do that, God will take care of you. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. It might not be what you think it's going to look like. Right. But God will take care of you and he will provide what you need. Mm-hmm. So work on yourself. Take some time to develop yourself and don't worry so much about finding a husband or finding a wife. Oh no, I'm 23 and I'm not married. What am I going to do? There should be no pressure to be married in your early 20s or at all. Right. Do what you need to do. Dedicate yourself to the Lord and it will all work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Great advice. Uh, the FOMO, right? The fear of missing out is strong with people thinking that they're missing out on the next phase of life. And, and that disappointment uh, just eats away, it gnaws away at your soul. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, you've go, you go back to 1 Corinthians 6. Is this to... Uh, looks like you're getting ready to offer a gospel invitation. So what, what do you hope to accomplish in this set of verses as you start to wrap things up? Yeah, I just want to tie it up. Like we talked about a little bit before, It is so easy to just feel like the worst person in the world when you struggle with whatever sin in your life. But listen, listen what Paul said to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen to some of these sins he's going to name. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God, That's a lot of scary sins, kind of similar to the Revelation passage we read earlier. But listen to verse 11. Listen to what Paul says here. And such were some of you. Mm-hmm. Such were some of you. Some of these people here in Corinth did these exact horrible things. Were they lost forever? Were they isolated? Were they hopeless? Was there nothing they can do? No, Paul goes on and he says, but you were washed. Yeah. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. No matter how deep 
your chasm of sin might seem to you, you can be washed. Mm -hmm. You can be justified. You can be sanctified. God has made provision for that because he loves us that much. So wherever you are, take action. Make a difference. It will improve not only the spiritual quality of your life, but the physical everyday quality of your life. Yeah. Make that change. Reach out. Totally agree. I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in Corinth when they read this for the first time because I kind of wonder, did did everybody know that there were people among them who were like this? Or did Paul's letter reveal it about their past and they were like, who who among us? I thought we were all, you know, this and that. Now I'm, I'm coming out. Whether, <laughs> whether they knew it or whether they didn't and they're hearing it for the first time, uh, this passage is so special to me. I know it is to you too because it really does represent that, uh, as Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And so we are the hospital for sinners and we're all recovered sinners who thankfully have taken on the, uh, been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So, yeah, very healthy discussion. I hope people are encouraged uh, I'm curious if you have a final word you'd like to give. Maybe it's to summarize your thoughts. Uh, maybe there's something we missed, but I, I'd love to give you an, another opportunity to encourage our listeners. I think my final word would just be, if we can make the changes that we need to make in our lives, get rid of the sin that's in our lives, and dedicate ourselves to the Lord, if we could all just sit down, reflect, internalize, and do that, Man, the things that the mm. church could do, mm -hmm. the growth that the kingdom of God would see. It's a beautiful thought. I mean, it almost, it makes me emotional. Just how much power a bunch of Christians who are on fire are. And we can be that. And we can do that. But first, we need to reform our lives. And that's the first step. And we can do that. And I look forward to the day that we get to look back in heaven and look back on all the good that we have done. Mm. Amen. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for talking about this. I'm encouraged by it. I hope others are too. I appreciate our time together. Thank you, brother. Just want to say one more time that I'm really thankful for RC and our time together in studio. I'm thankful for the work he does preaching presently in California uh, in the future. Who knows where he may end up? The Lord wills and the Lord knows. So, uh, we look forward to the many years of good service that he offers for the church. And for conversations like this, I know they can be challenging, but my encouragement to you, dear listener, is I hope that if there are things here that resonate with you, that you have, if you have struggles or if you have the desire to help people with struggles, that you make your local congregation a safe place. You be a safe person so that you can have these types of conversations and as the scriptures teach in Galatians 6, you can bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For more information, you can always go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to check out all the stuff that's there for you to use and utilize absolutely free. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, Israel's in some.